Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we thank you for the scripture that you've given us. Lord, I pray that as we study and as, as we spend time understanding, Lord, I pray you would just take what we've learned, apply it to our lives, Father. I pray that these would be more than just words on a page. They, they would be words that we live by, Father. We would see the truth of what you've shown us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we would be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. September the 27th, 1805, a man by the name of George Mueller was born. Now, some of you probably recognize the name George Mueller. I, I remember his name. I've heard his name. I'm not really sure what he accomplished. Well, in 1834, George Mueller had a vision from the Lord. He had a vision of beginning a ministry to help other people, and he named this ministry, it's a long name, the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. Now, it made up several, it was comprised of several different mission organizations, but probably the the best known of his mission organizations was a mission for orphans. And so George Mueller dedicated the remainder of his life to helping orphans. And it's estimated that over the next several decades of his life, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. He would bring the orphans in, he would feed them, he would clothe them, he would give them a place to stay, he would teach them, he would eventually train them and send them back out into the world. In the course of time, George Mueller established 117 schools that offered Christian education, and he trained over 120,000 children in those schools. And that's an amazing story of ministry, and it's an amazing story of what God accomplished through one another. But that's not the most interesting part of the story in my mind. See, as you begin to think about a ministry that size, and as you begin to think about all that George Mueller accomplished, you begin to ask yourself the question, I wonder what it took to run a ministry like that. I wonder how he funded a ministry like that. I mean, how in the world could he have the money to buy food for 10,000 orphans? How could he start 117 schools How could he train over 125,000 children? People have gone back and looked at his ministry and estimated that over the course of his life, he he brought in millions and millions and millions of dollars for these kids. But it's very interesting to me as we kind of delve into who he was and we begin to consider all the money that he needed and all the money that he spent because he raised money for these orphans in kind of a strange way. You say, well, how did he do it? What was his plan for raising money. Surely he had a a group of people that wrote letters or went out into churches and and prayed and and talked to people about his work and these churches would just give him all this money and the money would come pouring in. No, that's that's not how he did it. Okay, well, maybe he had a a, a group of, of people that wrote specific letters to wealthy people around Europe and asked them for money and they would send the money in. No, that's that's not how George Mueller raised money either. Well maybe he took his orphans. It was it was pretty common in those days for orphans to beg. And so maybe he took his orphans and he intentionally sent them into the streets and he had people give them money and then they brought the money back to... No, that's not how he did it either. You see, George Mueller had this incredible 
plan for raising all this money? He prayed. He said, uh-oh, what else, right? He prayed and then he went and asked people for money and they, nope. He prayed and then he wrote letters, nope. He prayed and then he would send the orphans into the street, nope. George Mueller would literally pray that God would provide the needs of those orphans and then he would sit there and wait for it to happen. And he tells story after story after story of having kids in the dining room and he's in the kitchen and he's got no food and he says, Lord, (laughs) you need to show up here. Lord, if you don't do something, these kids are going to starve and he said he'd hear a knock at the door. The bread man would stop by and he'd say, George, I've got a little extra bread I'd like to give you today if you'd like to give some to the orphans. Or he'd pray and he'd hear the door knock and then the milkman would stop by. George, we got some extra milk. Or the door would knock and it'd be a guy down the street who had some chickens. And George, here's some eggs I want you to give to the kids. Time and time and time again, he relied solely on the Lord to provide for himself and for those children. Here's what he said in his own words. He said, I desire in the deep consciousness of my natural helplessness and dependence upon the Lord to confess that through the grace of God, my soul has been in peace. Now watch this. Though day after day we have had to wait for our daily provisions upon the Lord, though even from meal to meal we have been required to do this, in the greatest difficulties in the heaviest trials, in the deepest poverty and necessities, He has never failed me. But because I was enabled by His grace to trust Him, He has always appeared for my help. I delight in speaking well of His name. What an interesting concept. I'm actually going to pray... And then trust God to take care of it. <laughs> See, what, 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 what we tend to do is we, we like to give God kind of our to-do list, right? Lord, here's the things I need you to do. I want you to take care of them, Lord, and then I'll, I'll get back to you in a little while. <laughs> I'll see how that's working out for you. See, George Mueller lived his life. He cared for these orphans. He proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, and at the center of it all was his total commitment to prayer. And so I I started asking myself the question, what would our lives look like if we committed ourselves to prayer like he did? What would our lives be like if we totally committed ourselves to prayer and we trusted God for all things and, and we went to him with focused, heartfelt, real prayer? I just wonder how our lives would change. I wonder how our churches would change. I wonder how our nation and our world would change. But, but some of us say this, Adam, that, that's, that's a world away from where I am right now. That's a universal way. I, I, I can't do that right now in my life to totally dedicate myself to prayer. I'm just, I'm so far away from that. Maybe if I could just do it for a little while. Maybe if I could just do it for a period of time, you know, like, like maybe 30 days. Maybe if I could just try it for 30 days, I would do that. But you say, Adam, that's, that's, that's even difficult for me because I'm not real good at this. I'm still learning. And if I had some sort of a guide, maybe. If I had some sort of a guide that could help me for a period of time, focus on prayer and think about prayer and focus on Bible study and, and ask God just to intervene into my heart and to intervene in my life. If I had some sort of a guide, then maybe I could do that. Well, I'm glad you asked. 
For the last several weeks, our staff has been working on a prayer guide. I just felt like it was very important for our church to be challenged, and I mean that challenged, I mean that word, to be challenged at the beginning of the year to focus on prayer. I just think God can do incredible things through us. I think God can do incredible things through our church. And so we set out to design a prayer guide. It's, it's all about our church. There's nothing in here from anywhere else. And it's specific to our church and the ministries of our church and things that our church should be praying for and thinking about. And that's a picture of the cover in the first couple of days. It starts today, Sunday, January the 6th. And I'm going to challenge you for the next 30 days. You're going to get a prayer guide at the end of the service. There's enough for everybody to have one. You're going to take this prayer guide home, and for the next 30 days, I want you to focus on prayer. I want you to focus on prayer. We've given you a Bible passage to read. You can pray today and then read John chapter 1, John chapter 2, John chapter 3, on and on it goes. For the next 30 days, I want you to try this. I want to challenge you men to lead your families. I want you to take this thing home, and for 30 days, I want you to focus on prayer, and I want you to focus on studying the Word of God, and I want you to see exactly what God can do in your hearts and exactly what God can do in your minds and your lives if you commit yourself to prayer. And so with this idea of prayer in mind and with this challenge for the next 30 days to begin this year praying specifically that God would do incredible things in our lives, with that in mind, I want to turn our attention this morning to the Scripture, to Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 6. D.A. Carson, a very well-known theologian, made an interesting comment about prayer in our churches. I want you to listen to what he says about our churches. He says, We have learned to organize, build institutions, publish books, insert ourselves into the media, develop evangelistic strategies, and administer discipleship programs, but we have forgotten how to pray. I think that's true oftentimes. And so this morning I want to examine Matthew chapter 6, and I want to examine Christ's teaching. You may remember in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, beginning in Matthew chapter 1 all the way through the end of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he teaches all sorts of of issues to the people that are following him. He talks about divorce and about murder and about adultery and how we should live our lives. But in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, Christ is going to speak specifically about prayer. And so I want to examine that passage of Scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 6, Beginning in verse 8. This is Jesus speaking. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans... For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now there's some biblical truth in here that I want you to understand that I want to examine this morning related to prayer. And I think if you'll understand these truths that Christ is teaching in Matthew chapter 6, I think if you'll apply these truths to your lives over the next 30 days, it'll help you in your prayer life and it'll help you better understand all that God wants to do through you. So here's the first truth. The first thing that Christ teaches us, number one, is that we should pray often. We should, number one, pray often. Stephen, I want you to bring verse 5 up again, if you would, for me. I want you to notice something in these verses of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Look at how Jesus begins. When you pray. See that? Now go to verse 6. 
When you pray, see that? Now go to verse 7. When you pray, you see, you see the pattern here? See, for Jesus, it's not, I sure wish you'd pray. It's not, if you could find a little extra time in your day, then maybe you could pray. It's not, it sure would be a sweet thing if you could pray. Christ says, when you pray. Here's a very simple understanding at the beginning of this passage. Christ expects us to be praying. Now we can, we can talk all we want to about the power of prayer. and we're, we're really good about talking about the power of prayer. There's absolutely power in prayer. There's unimaginable power in prayer. But we're real good about talking about the power of prayer. We're, we're, we're real, real good about talking about specific examples of prayer in Scripture and how people in the Bible prayed. We're good about talking about what a, what a model prayer would look like. We're, we're good about talking about how spiritual growth occurs during prayer. We're good about talking about prayer. But if we're not actually praying, we're wasting our time, right? See, prayer, prayer doesn't work by osmosis. In other words, the more you talk about prayer, the more prayer helps you. You need to actually be praying before prayer can actually help you. See, I think sometimes we fall into this trap. The more we talk about praying and the more we go to Sunday school and learn about praying and the more we say, I'll be praying for you, brother, right? <laughs> as long as we do those things, we're good, and yet we're not actually praying in the stillness of our own hearts. That's not what Christ is talking about. Christ assumes in this passage of Scripture that we need to be praying and that we need to be praying often. You say, okay, good, so we need to be praying. I get that, but how often should I be praying? I mean, how many times should I pray? Well, what does the Scripture teach on prayer? Well, there's several examples that would clue us into how often we should be praying. I don't want you to look these up, but you can write them down if you want to. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says this. I want you to listen to this adjective, devote. That's a strong word. Devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray continually. Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. See, there's this precedent in Scripture that we should be praying, first of all. But that we should be praying often. And we see words like devote, continually, on all occasions, always keep on praying. We get this picture as we study Scripture that prayer should be an integral part of our lives. It should be something that we do on a very regular basis. It should not be relegated to the final few minutes of our day when we don't have time to do anything else and we're just going to sit and pray right before we go to bed. Christ expects us to pray and He expects us to pray often. He, he's the perfect example. And we see over and over in Scripture how He spent great amounts of time in praying. For example, Mark chapter 1. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain to be by himself and to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. Luke 6, 12, this is a very challenging one. One of the days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Matthew 26, 36, and Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. On and on and on we could study the Gospels and we could study the life of Christ. And we could study how important prayer was to Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand something. 
If the Son of God, who was fully God and fully man, needed to spend time in prayer, don't you think you do? If Jesus Christ needed to spend time praying to know the Father's will and to have the strength to accomplish everything the Father asked him to accomplish, don't you think you ought to? How silly is it for us to think we don't really need to spend time in prayer? We don't really need to spend time studying. We don't really need to spend time getting to know Christ anymore. It'll just be fine. It'll just all work out. That's not what the Scripture teaches. And so we see examples in the Old Testament. We see examples in the New Testament. We see examples in the writings of Paul. We see examples in the life of Christ himself that we need to be praying, and we need to be praying often. But here's the problem we run into in American culture. Here's what we say. Adam, I would love to pray, but I just don't have time. I'm just too busy, Adam. Oh, if you knew my, if you knew my schedule, <laughs> and if you knew how early I got up and the hard work I did, and then when, when I get home, I got to go do this, and I got to pick this person up, and then we got practices in the evening, right? And then we try to squeeze in a bite to eat at some restaurant town, and then we get home. By the time we get home, it's nine, and we got to do baths for the kids, or I got to do some work for school, or I got to get work ready for in the morning. By the time I finish with all that, it's 11. I'm exhausted. I go to bed. I just don't have time to pray. Well, let's be real honest with each other. When you say you don't have time to pray, what you're really saying is prayer isn't important enough to you. Because I I made a list as I was just kind of thinking through this of all the things that we do have time to do. See, we, we have time to watch TV, don't we? We have time to surf the web. We have time to talk on the phone. We have time to post on Facebook. We have time to tweet, if you have a Twitter account. We have time to go to sporting events. We have time to go to our kids' sporting events. We have time, guys, to play around in our workshop. Ladies, we've got time to read that novel you've been wanting to read. We've got time to fish. We've got time to hunt. We've got time to on and on and on the list goes. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with doing these things. Those things aren't wrong. But what I'm demonstrating to you is we don't pray because it's not a priority to us. It's got nothing to do with time. It's got everything to do with commitment. And I think we should at least be honest enough with ourselves to admit that. Because when we say we don't have time to pray, it's really just an excuse. We'd rather be doing something else. And so I think for for a lot of people, this idea of praying regularly or praying continually or spending great amounts of time in prayer, you're going to have to reprioritize your life in order to do that, aren't you? You say, well, I'm just so busy. There's so much going on. I think the, the, the first step we need to take if we're going to pray often for so many people is that we need to plan to pray and that, that may sound silly, but the old saying is that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You've heard that saying before, right? I think for a lot of us, we need to set aside time in our day when we're going to be praying. If you're like me, I've got a calendar on my phone. And if I didn't have that calendar on my phone, I wouldn't know where to go, right? I don't know if you're like me. I mean, I look at that thing all the time to know what I'm, who I'm supposed to talk to next, where am I supposed to go. Amy and I have a shared calendar, so I know what she's doing. She knows what I'm doing. If it weren't for that calendar, I'd be lost. But man, you look at your personal calendar, your work calendar, and look at all the things you schedule out, all the things you've got on your calendar to do. Where's prayer? Prayer for us oftentimes becomes when I've done all, becomes when I've done all these other things and I'm finished with all this other stuff. God, if I've got 10 minutes at the end of the day, then I'm going to give it to you. That's not what Christ teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Christ expects. So I think for a lot of us, we need to begin this process by planning a time to pray. 
You need to put it on your calendar. Early in the morning, maybe it's a, a lunch break for you, maybe you get some sort of a break in the afternoon or right after dinner or, or late in the evening, whatever works for you. You need to set aside a time every day where you can spend time in the Word of God and you can spend time in prayer. I think you'd be amazed what God will do in your hearts. We need to move on. Verse 5 again says this. Christ is going to give us this very interesting comparison here in verse 5 and 6. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, here's the contrast here, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So not only do we need to pray regularly and pray often, but the second thing I think Christ is teaching us here is we need to pray personally to God. We need to pray personally to God. Prayer ought to be about personal communication with God. It's not a show and it's not a game. Christ desires us to know him more. He desires us to spend time with him. He desires us to go to him in prayer with all of our needs. But Christ brings out this interesting comparison here. He says there's the hypocrites over here who want to stand in the street corners. And they want to stand up in front of a large group of people and they want to pray so they can be heard. Now, he's not preaching against public prayer here. He is preaching against the attitude of the heart. See, these people, as they pray on the street corners and they pray standing in the synagogues, the Bible tells us they do that so they can be seen by others, their desires to glorify themselves. Christ says it's not about that. You go into your room and you pray to God in secret so that God can be glorified. There's a big difference there. I read this account. I'm reminded of the story in in Daniel chapter 6. You may remember Daniel. Daniel was a very wise young man. He was taken into captivity. He was living in the city of Babylon. And they had just passed a law that said, it was basically for Daniel, by the way. They said, you can't pray to any god other than the king. And the Bible gives us this very interesting verse in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. The Bible says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, in other words, when Daniel knew that that law had been enacted, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He sat down on his knees three times a day. And he prayed. And he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You see, God's not interested in this show. God's not interested that we do this so that we can be seen. God is interested in us going into our prayer closet, whatever that may look like for you, and spending time alone with God for his glory and for his guidance. I think sometimes we get caught up in this kind of to-do list for God. We, we see God almost as our personal assistant in the sky, right? God, I, I need some things done, Lord, and I'm going I'm to give you a list. I'm going to give you four or five things. I need you to heal this person. John needs a job. This person's struggling with their marriage. This person needs a car fix. Here's the ten things I need you to do, Lord. I'm giving you this list. You're my personal assistant, Lord. I'm going to give this to you, and then I'll come back in a few days and check on it. <laughs> I'll see how you're going. See how things are... Are you you accomplishing anything? Have you checked those things off the list? Now listen, God wants us to come to him with our request. Philippians 4 is clear on that. We are to go to God with petitions and requests. But more than going to God with petitions and requests, God wants us to go to him so we can know him more. So we can fellowship with him. So we can can live by understanding who he is and, and spend time in heartfelt, genuine, real 
prayer. I started thinking about genuine prayer and, and what real heartfelt prayer looks like and I thought about the prayers of, of a mother calling out to God for the salvation of her son. That's a genuine prayer. I thought about the cries of a father crying out for the safety of his family. That's a real prayer, man. A lot of us have prayed that prayer earnestly and honestly from our hearts. I, prayed, I thought about the prayer of a, of a believer seeking God for the salvation of a lost family member that, that he loves so dearly. We've prayed those prayers. We understand honest, earnest, genuine, heartfelt, real prayer. We spend time along with Christ and we cry out and we beg God to intervene in situations. We understand what those prayers look like, but oftentimes we don't do them. Instead, it becomes kind of the quick prayer, the kind of to-do list for God. Lord, I need you to work on these things for me. I need you to fix these things. But I, I want to make sure we understand because I think sometimes we, we gloss over this fact as, as we think about prayer and as we think about our prayer life. I think we need to be reminded that when we pray, we are speaking to the creator of the universe. And I think we miss that. I mean, the, the God who created the heavens and the earth wants me to come to him with my prayers. The God who, who, who created life and breathed life into Adam wants me to come to him with my prayers. The God who, who parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel wants me to come to him in prayers. The God who led the children of Israel through the wilderness with the pillar of fire and the, the pillar of smoke wants me to come to him in prayer. The God who calls the lame to walk and the blind to see and raise Lazarus from the dead and raise Jesus Christ from the dead. That God in all of his glory and all of his majesty and all of his holiness and all of his wonder wants me, little old sinful me, to come to him and make my requests known to him. It's unbelievable. I think we miss that, don't we? We forget about his majesty and about his power and we forget about exactly who he is in our lives and we forget about how desperately he wants to know us and how desperately he wants us to come to him, to love him and to be in fellowship with him. One scholar said it like this, I love this quote. Prayer is vastly more than petition and persuasion. It is adoring reverence. It's wonder. It's ecstasy, it's yearning, it's desire, it's surrender, love, confidence, trust, resolve, resignation, serenity. It's a picture of God, the creator of the universe, who created us in his image, desiring to walk with us. So God calls us to pray often, but he also calls us to pray personally in relationship to him. Number three, look at verse seven and eight. And when you pray, there's the third time he mentions it. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. That's a phenomenal statement, by the way, there. That God knows what you need before you ask. So we see that we need to pray often. We see that we need to pray personally. And then number three, we need to pray in faith. Trusting and believing that God is who he says he is and he will work in our hearts because the Bible teaches us before we ever pray, he knows what we're going to ask. 
Now Christ is real clear here in, in verse 7 that we don't need to go babbling and continually saying the same things and saying words just to be heard. There's this understanding in Scripture that it's not really about the words that we use. It's not about the way that we use them. It's not about yelling louder or saying certain fancy words to God. He knows what we're going to ask before we even ask. It's about going to God and demonstrating our trust and our love and our faith in Him through prayer. God, I'm coming to you because I know you can work. I'm coming to you because I know you can fix this. I'm coming to you, Lord, because I don't have anywhere else to turn and I need you in my heart and I need you in my life and I want you to be a part of everything that I'm doing. It's fascinating to me. That's a whole sermon on the fact that he knows before we ask. But I'm reminded of of my children, and you guys will relate to this if you have children or grandchildren. My my youngest is is a little boy, Jonas. He's four. And Jonas, like every other little boy, wants to run and jump and play and all the fun things that little boys want to do. But the the problem with Jonas right now is he's not really good at doing that. (laughs) So he's learning. But I can just kind of predict it out in the backyard as he's doing certain things and running and he wants to get on things and jump off. And I can just kind of see it coming before it happens, right? And so I'm watching him in the backyard and he's running and I see him and he's, he's running towards the sidewalk and he doesn't see the... And he trips and he falls, right? He skins his knees. And I saw it coming 30 feet back. I, could kind of, I, I just kind of saw it happening, right? And it just developed and happened right there before my ears. But as soon as he hits the concrete, he starts screaming, right? He's crying and what does he want to do? He wants to come see Daddy. Now, when he comes to daddy, he's going to tell me what happened, didn't he? That's what he's going to do. I fell, and he's going to be crying. You know what? I know what just happened. I saw it happen. I knew it was going to happen before it ever even happened. But you know what I want him to do when he falls? I want him to come running to me. You know why? Because I want to be the one person in the world that can make that hurt feel better. I don't need to know what he just did. I saw it. I knew it was going to happen. I don't need for him to describe to me the pain he's in. I know what pain he's in. I don't need for him to tell me all the things that happened to lead up to that point. I know all that stuff. It's not about me knowing. It's about me loving. And it's about me bringing comfort to him in his time. And that's who God is. God doesn't need to know what's going on in your life. He already knows. He doesn't need all the specific details. He already knows. He, he wants you to bring those things to him. But it's not about him needing to know what's going on in your life. It's about him needing to be there when you're in need. It's about us having faith enough in Him that we want to go to Him when we're hurting. And when we do those things, it demonstrates to Him our love and our trust in who He is. Matthew 21, 21 and 22 says this, Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, He just withered the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. See, as we pray, we demonstrate to God our love and our faith and our trust in Him. But I want to close with this challenge because I think so many times we miss that, don't we? We miss the power of prayer. We get caught up in the things of this life. We get caught up in the things of this world. We get caught up in our schedule and our business. And all those things are very real And we have to negotiate and navigate through the pitfalls of life. That's very real. But right in the midst of all that ought to be Christ. And at the foundation of all that ought to be a prayer life with Him. So I want to challenge you as we start this new year together to spend some time in prayer. And I want to challenge you specifically over these next 30 days to begin this year by seeking Him in all things. I want you to dedicate your life to Him more and more. 
I want you to seek him more and more. I want you to pray to him more and more. I want you to spend time in his word more and more. I want you to pray often. I want you to find times to pray that you didn't have before. I want you to pray personally. When you pray to him, you pray to him in a relationship, in a demonstration of your love and your faith and your trust in him. When you pray to him, I want you to pray in faith, understanding that he can do everything, everything that he's promised he can do in our lives. And then I want to close with this quote from the famous reformer Martin Luther. Here's what he said. I think it's a great prayer for us. Grant that I may not pray alone with my mouth. Help me that I may pray from the depths of my heart. That should be our prayer to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word, Lord. We thank you for all you've accomplished and all you've done. And we thank you for this time of study, Lord. We, we just pray that as we understand prayer more, that you would speak directly into our hearts, Father, and help us to understand the importance of spending time daily in prayer with you. Whether that means reorienting some things, reprioritizing some things, moving some things around, Father, I pray that we would find the time to pray. I pray that this, this guide would be helpful to us, Lord, only in a sense that it motivates us and moves us to more prayer, Father. But I pray it would just be the beginning in our lives and our hearts of, of honest, heartfelt prayer. And then, Lord, I pray that as we spend time in prayer and as we spend more time in your word, that you'd be honored and glorified and you'd do incredible things in our hearts and in our midst. Lord, it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a couple of minutes to come down front and, and pray if you want to. Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Join this church. But I'm going to challenge you to do something as we start this invitation. I've got this front pew filled with cards. These are church planners that I talked about earlier. These are North American Mission Board missionaries. They're somewhere on the continent of North America right now planning a church, literally standing in the darkness to spread the light. We've got cards down here that have different missionaries on every card. I'm going to challenge you to come down during the invitation. I want all these cards gone. I want you to pick up a card. I want you to pray for them just for a second down front. I want you to take it home and pray for them when you get home. The first prayer in our guide today is a praying for the North American missionaries. We're going to give you a card to start that. You can put it on your fridge. And over the next several weeks and the next several months, I want you to pray. But here's my prayer. I want you to pray for these missionaries that you take home. And I want you to remember them in your prayers. But my prayer is that one day, one of your faces will be on this card. I want God to call people out of this church to go and to share, and to witness, and to say, you know what, I'm willing to give it up all for you, Lord. Whatever you call me to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever that means, wherever I need to go, Lord, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to pray he's going to do incredible things in our midst. So as we begin to sing, as our praise team leads us in song, I want you to step out. I want you to come down front, get one of these cards, and pray for these people that God will do incredible things in their heart. Let's sing together. Come on down front. Y'all make your way down. Me and y'all lead out for your families. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.